I remember I ran away to Montana after the suicide attempt and after God told me I'd be a pastor. I went out there for two years and I came back. I was going to finish up my plumbing apprenticeship. Couldn't get a job. I retook my test. I passed, but I couldn't get a job. And then we did a, we did a fundraiser for a young man, 27 years old, dying of brain cancer. His wife is absolutely beautiful. So I took it upon myself to hit on her. I grabbed the microphone from the DJ and in front of all his family, in front of him, in front of my friends, and I hit on this woman. And I drove home and I don't remember driving home and I got up the next day and I just remember getting on my knees, knowing something bad was happening. I said, God, you got to help me. I can't live my life like this anymore. Hey, what do you say, Recovery Nation? It's Full Potential Ted welcoming you to the Full Potential Addiction Podcast, where I chat with inspiring people in the recovery world. And if you're thinking of getting help for your addiction, now is the time. Definitely go to fullpotentialnow.org and get a list of the nearest treatment centers and therapists near you. And remember, it is never too late to make a new start. And of course, be sure, Recovery Nation, to go to fullpotentialnow.org to get your free recovery toolkit. This bad boy contains the tools to take on your addiction and definitely enhance your recovery. In this podcast episode, we continue into the second part of our interview with the amazing Fred Schumacher, a definite story of inspiration and hope. I was 34 and I attempted suicide. My wife had filed for divorce uh, a year before that. My stepfather died the Christmas before that. The day before that, my favorite uncle passed away. The summer before that, my mom had a heart attack and triple bypass. And, and I took on the family bar because I was the alcoholic drug addict. So who better to have in there? I've managed bars before, but you know, <laughs> this, is, this is a great family answer. Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm attempting suicide. And that's what, that's, that you would have thought would have been the bottom for me, but it wasn't. I remember waking up a day and a half later. The last thing that I heard before I went down was the doctor saying things are shutting down. And I woke up a day and a half later in the hospital with some friends around me. And I felt such shame. And a friend of mine, his wife called me when I got home and she said, Fred, you're going to church. And I said, okay. You see, I hated God. I was the guy that walked into the hotel rooms. When I'm, when I'm bringing women in and I'm doing my drugs in the hotel, first thing I'd do is walk to, the, walk to the drawer and I would throw the Bible down the hallway. I didn't want anything to do with that crap. I spent my life doing drugs, alcohol, telling people that there was no God, telling people that there was no reason for all of this stuff. So I always call myself a walking moron. You know, the, the oxymoron, if the you will, because <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense. When you do the math, there's no mathematical equation that, that, that can simplify or help a person understand the true magnitude of a person's emotions versus their perceived realities and the way that they walk it out physically. You can't do that math that makes sense out of a lot of it. You've probably seen it in your years of counseling. You're like, What's going on here? Yeah. Well, all those negative things not allowing you to walk into the positive things. So here I am. I'm this guy that absolutely hates the Lord. My friend calls me up after a suicide attempt. 
I walk into a church and I felt for the first time the true love of the Father. They were singing a song called uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I remember crying, not because I was hurting so bad, but because I felt that love that I had been seeking my entire life. You know, one of the things... Something really got through. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I didn't mention that I should is my biological father. So my mom and him weren't married. And so I really never knew him. I knew him once when I met him once when I was 12. And his girlfriend uh, accused me of eating an entire 500 count of aspirin in a night. She was addicted to pills and just ate them like crazy. And my dad sent us home, me and my brother. So I didn't know him again until I was 25. I got into some trouble and I went to stay with him. And I was suicidal at the time because everything was crashing again. And I wrote this poem and it was dark and very suicidal. And I'm seeking, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reach out. And I, I walk out of my bedroom with this handwritten note in a notebook and I hand it to my dad and I have him read it. And he says, who is a sorry son of a bitch that wrote this? He ought to just effing kill himself. Wow. <laughs> and so this is my father, my yeah. biological father. My stepfather was the abusive one. So here's my two father figures. And you're writing the note because you're in a very deep, dark place ready to do it. Right. And then somebody finds the note. No, I handed it to him. It to I him. was struggling. I was seeking somebody to help. So the strength to actually give somebody a note and yes. have that kind of response. Absolutely. It's like pound you back into the ground. Right. So really for me, fun. I had this, this idea maybe somewhere in the back of my mind of what a father's love would feel like, what it would feel like to have a dad. But when I walked into the church that day, I felt that love. I remember, always remember those three pieces, love, value, purpose, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that it was God who sent His Son to die on a cross for us. How much love and value does that show? You're, you're a parent. What wouldn't you do for your children? But if they don't ever know that you'd go to any lengths to save them, protect them, to keep them, that's a terrible part on, on, on parents when they don't pronounce that or announce that to their children and make sure that the children always know this. Because then again, it goes back to them seeking for love, value, purpose. So the father met me at the door and I began to cry. Three months later, I was baptized. <laughs> Ten minutes after I was baptized, the Lord spoke to me in a voice I could hear in my head. It wasn't like outside. It wasn't coming from a megaphone or nothing. But he said, Fred, you're going to be a pastor. And I remember telling him, I said, you are out of your ever-loving mind. <laughs> and I ran like the wind for two years. Yeah. I went back out drinking, drugging, womanizing. Oh, really? You went back to it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, even, so this is the thing I want to highlight is like just media and stuff out there and just kind of how things are portrayed is it, it's always about the fast fix. Learn these. I mean, obviously, we're talking about three things here that are crucial, but you're really talking about them working at them over time, over the course of a lifetime. And For I get sure. so, and I get so like, I guess kind of peeved a little bit because I, I feel like there's a lot of advertising out there, just a, a lot of things out there for people presenting with the quick fix. Like, do this, and, and then you'll have this transformational experience, and, and then you'll be fine. And so there's always this, like, quick, quick snippets. What do I need to do to, like, correct this, right. like, 
thing, and then those I'll be thirty-seven fine. inches of belly fat in four days. It'll be amazing. <laughs> exactly. Take this, take this pill, do four sit-ups, and call me next week. And what I like about what you just said, and this is what has been my greatest learning in the field of counseling, and I only came to probably became more aware of it probably about five years ago. Um, I mean, all the people I've worked with over 20 years, man, it's, it's on another podcast, somebody's asked me, how many people have you worked with that? We actually figured it out on air. It's like 20,000 people. I've seen 20,000 people that have been addicted. And it sort of finally hit me. And working with so many people over so long and in different periods of time, short-term, long-term, is that there's a change process that occurs. People call it transformation. But everybody likes to jump from using to, like, the ideal sober life. Right. But there's all these steps in between. And people will talk about the steps. Right? You know, well, it, yeah, it's jumping too far ahead. Come on, Ted. You can't go from 1 to 10. You have to go through 2 through 9. Then you'll get to 10. Right. Stay vigilant. Hang with it. Which I think is good advice. It's, I've used the advice. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing they're missing, and this is what I learned from working with people so often, is in my own personal, professional life, whatever, going through problems myself, is that change happens over time, but doesn't go forward. It actually kind of goes like this. It goes forward, people, the proverbial two steps forward, one step back. It actually, the change process sometimes works like that. Most of the mm-hmm. time it does. So people, you'll see people go like, hey, a couple steps forward, and then they'll go a step back. Similar to your story, like, all right, I get this great spiritual experience in church. What the hell do I do with it? Right. You, well, you know what I did with it, Ted. Right. Went out and drank. Absolutely. <laughs> and disappeared for two Absolutely. years. Absolutely. I became a, uh, I started eating mushrooms every weekend, and my Fridays would start out with a liter of vodka, then it would go to a 30-pack of Miller High Life's, and then I'd go out to the bar. See, I always think, and this is going to sound crazy, let me, know, let me know what you think about this, but, like, this idea of, like, when people come close to that kind of experience, because I've heard this before, they get some sort of like spiritual experience that occurs, whatever it might be, um, and it scares the shit out of them. And they just like, it's almost like they go out and use like big time, and then they'll somehow get back to it. So it's like this big experience happens to them, they cope with it, but it's almost like the sign of the big experience and then the relapse, for somebody who's out there in the relapse, would be like, and if you had a spiritual experience like that, maybe you're close, actually, closer than you think about like getting things back on track into where you want to go. Absolutely. It's that whole self-sabotage thing. You know, um, I do believe, I'll tell you this, that I do believe that a person can have a radical transformation in a minute and never go back. I've heard so many stories of that, and I believe in it. Yeah. I truly do. But I think I don't think that you can put recovery in a box. I don't think that you can put God in a box. I don't think that you can put people in a box. You know, there's they talk about, oh, five personality traits and blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody possesses one of these. You're one of these people. You're an introvert. You're an extrovert. Well, it's not true either. There's not just introvert and extrovert. You know, you can have this and you can have that and you can be an individual person. And so I think that I think that, again, getting back to what what this thing started out as talking about is rigorous honesty, brutal, brutal honesty, and hope. Does brutal honesty get easier over time, the more you practice it? I think if you have found yourself a community of people that are as honest as you are, 
it can get better and better and better, and it can get easier and easier and easier. I think that in America, because we inflate what happiness is, like we, we are a lying culture. Because again, without love, value, purpose, without hope, you're never going to find any true happiness. Why is, if, if money and houses and cars was the epitome of what happiness and joy success is, then why is the divorce rate in Hollywood marriages so huge? Everybody gets divorced because nothing fulfills you. We're, we're an instant gratification society. We want everything now. And once we get it, then we don't want it anymore. The only thing that more ever wants is more. I've never met anybody who didn't have a good balance of those three that actually didn't have real struggles in their life, that didn't, that didn't struggle with happiness in their home, that didn't struggle in their marriages. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, but we got to be on the same page. It doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect and then you'll have a perfect life. But if you're willing to be honest and you're willing to work towards these three things and you're willing to talk about those three things, you can get there. So yes, honesty, honesty should get easier. But it doesn't because somebody keeps moving, moving the target for us outside of our homes, outside of our who we are, outside of our jobs. There's, there's every year they come out with new models of cars with new bells and new whistles and oh, I got to have that. Well, why do you have to have that? Well, because this is what success is. I wrote a bumper sticker even before I, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Bumper sticker. There you oh, go. We got to bring those back. Here we I go, mean. Mr. Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it said, and I, <laughs> and I still believe it, but a man's success should not be judged by the size of his wallet, but rather the size of his smile. Uh. Because when your heart can be filled with love and joy and hope, when, you, when you've reached that place, I always tell people, it's like, find out who you are, because then you don't have to apologize anymore. Oh, that is so profound, man. I right? love that. Say that again. Find out, define who you are, then you don't have to apologize anymore. Soak that in for our listeners, man. Soak that in. Because that's it. Because You don't have to apologize God, for being you. Right. God created us each to be unique and amazing and awesome in our own in our own way and so we're going to have uniqueness and yet you know you see these kids and, and we all laugh as we get older you know when we were the kids we're like man i'm an individual don't tell you can't put me in a box <laughs> and now you know the adults that were saying but you look just like dude <laughs> and now that we're older, we're looking through a different lens. We say, well, you guys all look alike and you all act alike. What's this individual thing you're talking about? Because, again, we're finding out, we're, finding out we're, we're allowing society, we're allowing other people to define who we are. Constantly looking and trying to adapt and look like that other person. Trying to assess our success judged by somebody else's rain gauge or by their success meter. It's different. Spending the time being our, being ourselves. Right. Get back in touch with who you are. 
Absolutely. So you don't have to apologize for it. Absolutely. In the word, it talks about it talks about that a finger should not be jealous or an eye should not be jealous, you know, of the knee. Because in the body, the way that the body is made up, it's a perfectly harmonized system. Beautifully muscular, skeletal, you know, there's these these systems inside the body that all work together. And they work together amazingly. Like one of the great things that makes us humans is our opposing thumb. Well, look at it. It's the shortest, fattest. Yeah. Well, by standards, if you're short and fat in America, what are you? Yeah. You certainly aren't idolized. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, unless you're Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we are, we are amazing people. Oh, yes. And everybody is like that. But when you're living life through the lens of shame. When you can't see that you're love valued and that you have a purpose. God loved us, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So now we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us and fills us. That that, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises us out of our out of our deathbeds, takes and removes that ceiling. Remember, I was telling you that I was 40 years old and I was in seminary? What puts a 40-year-old man in a seminary when he's thinking that he's stupid? Mm. What does that? What kind of ignoramus is going to even head off in that direction? What did? What, what, what within you made you commit to it? I, uh, I remember I ran away to Montana after the suicide attempt and after God told me I'd be a pastor. I went out there for two years, and I came back. I was going to finish up my plumbing apprenticeship. Couldn't get a job. I retook my test. I passed, but I couldn't get a job. And then we did a, we did a fundraiser for a young man, 27 years old, dying of brain cancer. His wife is absolutely beautiful. So I took it upon myself to hit on her. I grabbed the microphone from the DJ and in front of all his family, in front of him, in front of my friends, and I hit on this woman. And I drove home and I don't remember driving home and I got up the next day and I just remember getting on my knees, knowing something bad was happening. I said, God, you got to help me. I can't live my life like this anymore. And so I've been sober since August 6, 2006. Uh, started going to meetings. So I couldn't get a job and I'm doing carpentry work. Next thing you know, there's a seminary that's opened up here in Madison that takes people who didn't graduate high school, that starts giving them an opportunity to get an education. And after a year of that, then I got a job in a church. So here's this, here's this dirt ball, basically fresh off the street, a little over a year of sobriety, gets a job in a, in a regular church, uh, finishes up his degree. He's working on two other degrees. He's working 93 hours a week to be this Thing that this pastor wants him to be God opened up doors and I walked through it and he allowed me to succeed he allowed me to succeed in things that I never thought I could do and so I'm starting to add these up and I'm starting to build them up but I'm still carrying a lot of the things that told me I was a failure you see, and, and along this whole lines of the shame thing that we've been talking about this entire time comes this thing where we're not allowed to fail. We're not a, we're not a society that says, 
you can make a mistake, that you can fail at something. See, when you fail at something, when you make a mistake, doesn't make you a failure. What makes you a failure is when you refuse to get back up. When you won't let somebody hand, give you a hand up, when you won't even try and get up, now you're becoming a failure. But no, we don't teach that. We teach people that as soon as you fail, as soon as you make a mistake, shame on you. Yeah. And now I'm reinforcing the negative behaviors. But praise be to God that I had an opportunity and I could hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me in my heart. That always, no matter what, no matter how hard the struggle got, it was him and I. And he kept giving me the strength. And that same strength is in me. It's in whoever wants it. He is right there. He's at the door. And remember, I hated God. I hated him. I couldn't even imagine what these idiots were talking about. How stupid to believe in a God that you can't even see. And so it was God that brought me up and brought me out and brought me through all of this stuff. And he did it through some of the most crazy people I've ever met in my life. These people called alcoholics and addicts. They didn't have a clue. They're out there smoking. They're unshaven. They look like the dirtbag down the street. They look like Joe Blow down the block. They look like Sarah, the messed up woman down the street. They look like everybody else. But their stories touched my heart and again reinforced that I'm not the only one battling with this. I'm not the only one that lived their life in shame. And so by sharing those stories, by building a camaraderie with one another, we began to build a trust in each other. And we could share that. And we didn't have to, to, to believe the lies anymore. And so on one hand, I've got God speaking life and love and hope into me, showing me that I have value and purpose. And on the other hand, I have a, a whole bunch of people who are willing to walk with me in my stupidity, in my failings, when my temper is so through the roof and I'm screaming, I'm, I'm upset, I'm pissed. And I'm like, Fred, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath, brother. Take a deep breath. You don't need to go back out because a drink and a drug is not going to help you. It's only, it's only going to pacify you for a moment. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be right back where you were before you started getting sober. And so recognizing that truth piece, that I have the capability of being a decent person, that, that, that little kid in me that wanted nothing more than to be loved, there's nothing wrong with that kid. Sure, some of my behaviors have been asinine. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah, straight up yeah. stupid. <laughs> but that doesn't define me. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Is it really like what you're talking about, Fred, is this idea that, I mean, obviously you got to be vulnerable and open to be brutally honest. And that's scary. So there's like, I think there's two pieces to it. One is like the actual spoken word of the honesty, but there's the vulnerability of one's soul and heart coming forward. Right. But they're, as terrifying as it is, if you get to the, the terrifying part and be able to do it and practice it over and over again, what you'll probably find is it still can be terrifying, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it almost becomes more practiced and reinforced, the idea of allowing your true spirit to come forward for who you are, all your strengths, all your weaknesses, all your mistakes, all of who you are, is just, it's just who you are. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the, the other really key piece I really like that I chimed into is this idea of, and it's been really opening for me on a personal level, is this idea of as we get more comfortable with who we are, like being in our own skin, mm-hmm. I think there's a deeper part to it. As we get even more comfortable being in our skin and who we are and the idea of being vulnerable and being able to be brutally honest and be comfortable with our own mistakes, our own mistakes are really the key to our own growth. Oh, amen. It's like a weird connection that I don't think I've never really gotten it until a couple of years ago, but like as I've embodied been more comfortable with not being the perfect Ted, with the Ted that actually, hey, it's all right to make some mistakes here or there. Why not? Right. It's me. I'm not perfect. That that has actually led to transformation. So that is the gift on the other side of a mistake. But all too often, like you've said throughout this whole broadcast, Fred, that people come in and they stick you back in the ground for the mistake. You mm-hmm. never get the gift right. of somebody said, oh, what did you learn from that? Right. How could you do better by that? Now, and I, I have also intentionally not surrounded myself with yes men because I think that's negative. I think that um, if somebody, if you have a friend, quote unquote friend, who doesn't see that you have the ability to make mistakes, you know, that person that always says, no, that doesn't make your butt look fat. You know, oh, your hair looks great. It's like, I didn't do anything with it. It's been blown in the wind. You know what I mean? Like that person that's just, they're so- There's tons of them. Right, right. So you're, you're, you're sitting here in this world with two different types of people. One, they want to kick you down and one that wouldn't say boo if it, if they had to. It's like, so I've intentionally surrounded myself in my growth process with people who are willing to be honest with me. Mm-hmm. And I've given them that license in my life. And it's, and it's through building a relationship. It's through building trust. But the word says, speak the truth in love. And in this world, what we're doing is we're lowering our expectations on people. And in some cases, that can be good. But you can't do that just carte blanche. Mm. Because if you don't ever hold somebody up to a standard, they will never rise to a standard. And what a valuable thing to have for two people to connect on that level saying, hey, wait a second, I actually want you to be honest with me. I want you to give me... Not all the rose, you know, the rose-colored glasses all the time. I want you mm-hmm. to give me that constructive feedback, like when I mess up, to be able to let me know that in a loving way. Right. Because that will make me a better person. And then if you, like, step to the other side, the person that's afraid to do it, oftentimes what's behind that is they're afraid to hurt other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. They just want to be liked. Right. Uh, but behind being liked is being loved. Love means so much to me that... I never want to ever let you down and ever hurt your feelings. So that's why I am not going to give you the truth sometimes. Like, hey, maybe you could have done that better. Or, hey, wait a second, that actually hurt my feelings. So this is kind of, this is kind of a weird dynamic that it there's is. so many people running around like this. Right, and it's something, it's something definitely to work out with yeah. friends. And it's also, you know, the day after you get into AA, you don't necessarily need somebody barking down your throat and hounding you, you know, blah, 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 blah. You didn't do this right. Maybe you do need a little bit of grace. But I, I feel that uh, true friendship is built at the speed of trust. 
Yeah, well, another kill. I'm going to quote these phrases, man. I'm going to put them on like the show notes. Absolutely. Go ahead. Because Say that one again. True friendship is built at the speed of trust. <laughs> I love that. And so what that, means, what that means for me, Ted, is that as I learn to trust you, as I, as I pour into your life and I show you that I actually care about you, I'm putting money in that emotional bank. So then once in a while, when you're stepping outside of yourself and I've learned your true character and I know your heart and you know that I care about you, now I've earned the right to speak into your life. And I've earned that right to tell you what's going on, you know, what I see. Because you understand and you value me. Yeah. And I understand and value you. So it's that loving relationship. You both value one another. Absolutely. So you connect on a deeper level. Right. And then grow, learn from one another, and support one another. Right. We're not, I don't believe that we are, we are meant to be the type of people that just sit around and encourage somebody into a false destiny. So if my friend is going to walk off the cliff, I'm going to stop my friend, aren't I? But yet... This day and age, we don't seem to be able to speak in anybody's life because we're all these frail little dandelions, you know, and all it takes is a, is a breath to scatter it all over and we're broken. We'll never be put back together again. So we're all dainty and we're careful. But when we're real and we build true relationships, when you walk by somebody and you say, hey, how are you doing? And you actually stop because you care we're going to start changing things because the way that this world is going is getting away from personal relationships. It's getting away from love. It's getting away from valuing others. And why, why is teen pregnancy? Why is uh, teen uh, uh, violence and drug use and all these things? Why are they on the rise? Why is divorce rate on the rise? Why is abortion on the rise? Why is, why is, why is, why is? And yet we stand back and we go, oh man, look, we're doing so good. Because our houses are bigger, our cars are faster, we've got more bells and we got more whistles. We got more people dying on the inside because nobody's taking a second to say, you know what? How are you? Yeah, so well said, so well said. All right, we're back. We're going to have uh, Fred take part in, in the lightning round. And I, you know, this whole podcast is, I think, littered through with the idea of making mistakes and how we, uh, you know, deal with that. And I made the mistake by not pressing the record button. So now we're going to redo it. He's going to retry to recapture the magic. He's on a roll. <laughs> but here's the lightning round. So I'm going to ask Fred real quickly three questions. He's going to give us his uh, best words of wisdom. So question number one is, what would be your, your advice for somebody in early recovery? I've been saying it a few times here, and, and we're talking about uh, honesty. Um, to be honest with yourself. Uh, be honest with, with, your, with your group. Uh, get into a meeting. So um, if, you're just, if you're just coming in, it's really hard. It's really scary. Um, but recognize that those people are sitting in those chairs for a reason because they've gone through what you've gone through, so it's okay to be honest. So recognizing who you are, recognizing your struggles, 
it's hard for some people to come out of the gate. But if you get to a meeting and you keep doing what they say to do, it'll make a change in your life. What would you say, what would be your words of wisdom for somebody maybe in middle recovery? So they've been in recovery for a while. Mm-hmm. We know in life there's kind of ups and downs and there's ups and downs and with recovery and it flows with life. So if you're in middle recovery, what would be your words of uh, wisdom? I think um, when, you, when you first get into recovery, you get a sponsor. After you get some sobriety under your belt, you become a sponsor. So those are really important. Be sponsored and be a sponsor. But also um, recognizing that you're going to go through some emotional challenges and some emotional changes in your sobriety. Some things are going to come up. Um, but recognizing, recognizing those people who have what you want, coming alongside of them and emulating or doing what they're doing to get what they're doing. So you'll never, you'll never change your behavior until you change your behavior. So you change your expectation, you change the way that you look at these things. So you're always going to be, if I don't ever believe that I could be somewhere else and I don't pick a target, I'm always going to hit nothing. But once I recognize in my sobriety that, that, I, can, that I can do this thing and that I, I'm starting to build a little bit of ground now, I've got a year or two sobriety, I don't have this thing whipped. I don't have it licked. I don't have everything. But in business and in leadership, what you do is you pick a target. So they, they talk a lot about one-year, three-year, five-year targets, plans, business plans. Where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? Who's got it? Come alongside of those people. When you get there or when you're getting there, change the target again. And so then you get to that next target and you change the target again before you get there. So it keeps, it keeps curving up. It keeps, you keep growing. Don't allow yourself to sit stagnant and be where you were. What would you say to somebody who's thinking about getting into recovery? They've been using, they, you know, it's kind of, they've done the same thing over and over again. It's getting old. Mm-hmm. Maybe they hit bottom. Maybe they're ready to make a change. Um, what would be your best uh, advice to that? I've seen it and I've heard it so many times. People saying one last hurrah. If you think you want to get sober tomorrow, you're having those thoughts today, go somewhere today. Maybe see a meeting, get into a meeting. A lot of people make the mistake and they go out and they get hammered one last time or they go out and do whatever one last time and then they're too hung over the next day and they say, well, I'll push it off to the next day. There never becomes a perfect day other than the day that you're thinking about doing it. So get a plan, get a plan and do it. But, But ultimately, I think if you're thinking about it today, do it today. I have a couple more questions, just real quick. Any resources that you would recommend, any books, anything come to mind, podcast, other podcasts, things that you think would be helpful for Recovery Nation to check out? You know, for me, my walk is maybe different than other people, but I've found that the big book really helped. Okay. Reading the stories in the big book, um, they're amazing stories. They help us recognize and see the struggles that can come with recovery. Uh, Dr. Bob he had a few he had a few issues getting sober yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a flip the switch and, and away he went and he was sober and then I also recommend the Bible okay uh, this has been a uh, an amazing part for me to recognize how loved I am 
Uh, some people think the Bible is this uh, ultra-religious, superstitious, you know, book of hoopla and whatever. And I actually find it to be very enlightening, very empowering uh, when we read the Gospels. Okay. And then if people want to get in touch with you, would you want to give them any, like, email address or anything like that? Absolutely. If they hear the podcast and, like, they're inspired by what you're saying, they're like, hey, I want to maybe ask you a question or two, would you be open to that? Absolutely. Um, they can reach me via email at uh, pastorshoe at yahoo.com, P-A-S-T-O-R-S-C-H-U at yahoo.com. Uh, they can do that. They can reach me at uh, shoeman3377 on Twitter and Instagram, as well as Snapchat. So, All right. Thank you. What do those letters mean, Fred? I don't even know. Well, right. I mean, I saw some. I was like, what the Sam Giddyup is that? It's, that doesn't... it's alphabet soup is right. what it is. It tells me you've been in school or doing... Uh, yeah, lots of school. Or doing certificates or whatever. You know, you just never quite know what, what that is. Didn't I see one triple L in there? Right. Like LLL and then... Isn't there like a you got wrestler? HTCB or something? Yeah, isn't like, there like a wrestler Triple H? I there's wish, a Triple H. Yeah, you got a. See, I wish I had. What a is tri- mint? Mint. I mean, <laughs> is that an arrogant statement or what is it? Yo, dude, I'm mint. What up? <laughs> what I do is I'm mint. I'm good. Don't question anymore. I love it. I this love is it. like the. This is like the. Uh, the the uh, Triple H. I'm Triple H, and I'm mint. Absolutely, your LPC. So, so that's a licensed professional counselor. Okay, and your CAC, CSAC. Uh, certified Substance Abuse Counselor. Okay, so that's nothing to do with like CPAP training or anything no, like that. Although, so. that would be, I, I think I should get that certification, and then we'll put that on the end just for like, just for shits and giggles. Well, you have like so many, I mean, so licensed professional counselor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, CSAC was a what? Certified Substance Abuse Counselor. Substance Abuse Counselor. And then ICS. ICS is an independent clinical supervisor. So okay. I supervise other therapists. And in your MBAs? Master's in Business Administration. Which, and then the MIT. Which is awesome. I'm actually going to start that this, this spring. Super cool. I think so. Master's of Business. So, Well, I'm actually going to do uh, not an MBA, but I'm going to do... Uh, a business degree with a with a uh, primary focus. Well, several shouldn't say primary anything because it's but uh, doing project management and things like that. Oh, so super cool. Yeah. So forty seven. And so what is mint? I'm I'm yo I'm mint. Right. I mean, you should like wear you should wear like a felt hat with a feather and stuff. I think that would love this one. <laughs> Just like, so mint. What it is? It's motivational interview. I'm in the Motivational Interview Network of Trainers. So they have this thing called, I don't know if you ever heard of motivational interviewing, but it's a big thing. No, I heard of Chris Farley, though, and he was a motivational speaker. Speaker. So do you guys travel in the same circles? I have a van. (laughs) Down by the river. But some motivational speakers that have the vans, we're a little bit more upscale. We're just one block off the river (laughs) for pickup trucks.
for pickup trucks. <laughs>